Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and with me today is Carly. You've heard her on a previous episode and a couple of our Potterheads of history, but now she is officially joining the podcast. Katie's going to be taking some time off, so for now, it'll just be the two of us. So, welcome to official co-hostdom, Carly. So excited to have you on board. Can you give the keepers a little refresher about yourself? I'm Carly. I started out as a patron. The first patron. First patron. Friend. Then it became more because I moved to Cleveland. (laughs) I did convince you to move to Cleveland. Indeed. Well, it wasn't just me because you also know the hosts from Swish and Flick. I do also know the hosts from Swish and Flick. Hufflepuff. Support Badger. My DMs are always open for if you need support. And I'm just out here trying to be a co-host living my life first podcast ever so it's gonna be really nice to have some extra help my support badger support and new fresh ideas to keep moving forward with we're really hoping this will make things more consistent as well there's been a lot going on in all of our lives lately it seems like but this is gonna help us divide that and conquer and get things back and hopefully bring you some new stuff too but welcome I'm glad to be here. That being said, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered part two of chapter 35, Beyond the Veil and the barely corresponding film scenes. We spend the book following the crew through a Scooby-Doo-esque chase scene of doors and mysterious rooms. The murder munchers do some serious damage to the numbers of the group. Hermione's unconscious... Ginny has a broken ankle, and Ron, in all his rawness, has been attacked by brains. The film scenes are similar, but different, as usual. Dumbledore's army fights earnestly while running away from murder munchers through the prophecy room. Eventually, they fall and end up in the veil room. In both, things are looking pretty dire. During episode 183, Insanely Young Pancakes... Our Potter pondering was, how do you feel about the movie leaving out the other rooms from the Department of Mysteries? Hey guys, it's Jackson here, very early in the morning, and just calling in my Potter pondering because I forgot it to do it yesterday. (laughs) Anyway, what do I feel about the other rooms in the Department of Mysteries being left out? Well, honestly... I am really repeating myself at this point, like we all are, hated it. Hated it. We were built once again out of seeing all these awesome effects, all these great rooms. And I mean, God, seeing that baby-headed Death Eater, oh, that would have freaked me out. But it would have been awesome to see. And that those brains in the tank, all the time-turners, I mean, God... Please, why? Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering for this week. Yes, I agree. Baby-headed muncher should have been in the movie. 
It could have been so great. They didn't read the book. That's the only explanation of why all of these great scenes are being left out. It's like someone who loves the book like made them a list of all the things that should be in the movie and they just said, no, we fucking hate you. So we're going to make sure that none of these awesome things, no matter how great they actually are and would be enjoyed by every fan, we say no to those. We're going to add montages and do other shit that's not in the book just to spite you. That's the only thing I can think of at this point because why else would it not be included? I don't understand and this one's getting me fired up. There are so many awesome things in the Department of Mysteries that could have and should have been included. The Time Turners being destroyed, brain, yes, definitely baby-headed muncher should have been. Would have been so hilarious, especially seeing the other characters' reactions to them. I just, I don't understand why. Like, they love to, like, throw in little quips to try and make the movie into a comedy, and yet the funny parts of the book, they take out or change completely. Yes, so many things in the Department of Mysteries that they should, like, all of the doors. Where were the doors spinning? Where, ugh, where was the magic, too? Like, oh, they do a spell and it just makes them go flying. That's not what that spell does. And why does every spell just yeet them across the room? And that's what I don't understand either. They could have done so much more than they did. And I don't understand why they made the decision not to. This will never make sense to me. And I'm looking forward to hearing what everyone else is yelling about too. Because, yeah. So, bye! Hi everyone, it's Max from England here. I think it was a very clever commentary in the film to leave out a lot of information about the Department of Mysteries, because the very nature of the Department of Mysteries is that it is mysterious. That being said, I was really very quite irritated that they had left out any visualisation of scenes in the film that they'd had in the books. But oh well. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was... What spell does Dolahov cast on Neville? Dolahov hits Neville with Tarantallegra, causing his legs to start twitching uncontrollably. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley and Kalista Whitewolf. Woo! Yay! I had to give them this tie because Podbean is apparently having trouble connecting to Facebook, and it did not post the episode to our page as per usual. I ended up making a manual post a few minutes late once we realized that was happening. And Mike was the first person to answer the trivia question there. Kalista was not even a full minute behind him. But she also took the initiative to answer the trivia question on Podbean when it didn't post to Facebook. So technically she was first. But that's just because Mike didn't think of that. Who knows who would have actually been first? I'm calling it a tie. That extends Kalista's streak to four weeks, but it also puts Mike in a good position to mess up her streak this week. Could be anyone's win. Hopefully Podbean has its issues fixed by the time this one airs. Hopefully. For now, let's dive into the third and final part of Chapter 35, Beyond the Veil, and the corresponding film scenes. 
Chapter 35, Beyond the Veil, Part 3. Bellatrix yells at the Death Eaters to get Potter, but Harry dodges, knowing that as long as he has the prophecy, he's safe. Ron begins to say to Harry that there are brains in the tank, still behaving strangely and commenting on how weird it is. Harry yells at him to get down, but Ron has already pointed his wand at the tank. He says, honest Harry, they're brains, look, Akio brain. Everyone stops and turns in spite of themselves to watch the top of the tank as a brain bursts from the green liquid and soars towards Ron. It's spinning and what looks like ribbons of moving images fly from it, unraveling like rolls of film. Harry shouts, not knowing what will happen if Ron touches the brain, but sure, it will be bad. He runs forward, but Ron has already caught the brain. The moment they make contact with Ron's skin, the tentacles begin wrapping around his arms. Harry excitedly tells Ron to look at what's happening before realizing he doesn't like it and telling the tentacles to stop. However, they've already reached his chest, and he tries to rip off the ribbons as the brain pulls tight against him. Harry attempts to use Defendo, but the feelers will not break. Ginny shouts to Harry that the brain will suffocate Ron, but then gets hit directly in the face with a stunning spell. She slumps over and lies unconscious. Neville begins shouting stupefy due to his broken nose, which causes his spells to fail, and nothing happens. One of the Death Eaters sends their own stunner at Neville and just misses. It's now only Harry and Neville against five Death Eaters, and Harry runs for it as Bellatrix races right at him. He holds the prophecy up over his head as he sprints back up the room, trying to draw the Death Eaters away from the others. It works, and they all sprint after him. He goes through the only open door where the Death Eaters had come in from, and hopes that Neville will stay and find a way to release Ron from the tentacles. He runs a few feet into the room and feels the floor vanish. He falls down stone step after stone step, bouncing down every tier until he lands in the sunken pit, all the air knocked from his lungs. The room rings with laughter of the five Death Eaters who had followed him from the brain room and five more coming from the other doorways all around. They jump down the seats towards him as he regains his feet, legs trembling, but with the prophecy somehow still unbroken in his left hand and his wand in his right. He backs away trying to keep all the Death Eaters in sight. He bumps into something behind him and climbs up backwards onto the dais. The Death Eaters stop, gazing at him. Some are panting as hard as he is. One is bleeding badly. Dullahov is back, freed from the body bind, and he has his wand pointed at Harry's face. Lucius Malfoy pulls off his hood and instructs Harry to give him the prophecy like a good boy. Harry tells him that he will if he lets the others go, which makes the Death Eaters all laugh. Malfoy tells him that he's in no position to bargain and looks very pleased as he points out that there are ten of them and only one of him, asking if Dumbledore has ever taught him how to count. Neville shouts from above that he's not alone and still has him, which makes Harry's heart sink as Neville scrambles down to them, still holding Hermione's wand. He tries to tell him to go back to Ron, but Neville begins to shout stupefy at all the Death Eaters, again to no effect. 
one of the largest Death Eaters grabs Neville from behind and pins his arms to his side. Lucius identifies him as Longbottom and comments that his grandmother is used to losing family members to their cause, saying his death won't come as a great shock. Bellatrix hears the name and a truly evil smile lights her gaunt face as she tells Neville that she's had the pleasure of meeting his parents. Neville yells that he knows she has and struggles so hard that the Death Eater holding him asks for someone to stun him. Bellatrix refuses, saying she wants to see how long Longbottom will last before he cracks like his parents, unless Harry gives them the prophecy. Neville yells to Harry not to give it to them, fighting incredibly hard as Bellatrix approaches him. Bellatrix uses the Cruciatus Curse on Neville and his legs curl up to his chest, causing the Death Eater to have to hold him up off the ground before dropping him. Releasing him from the curse, Bellatrix tells him that it's just a taster. Neville stops screaming and lies sobbing at her feet. She then turns to Harry and tells him to give them the prophecy or watch his friend die the hard way. Harry holds out the prophecy without hesitation, and Malfoy jumps forward to take it when suddenly two more doors burst open and Sirius, Lupin, Moody, Tonks, and Kingsley sprint into the room. Malfoy turns away and raises his wand, but Tonks has already sent a stunner at him. Harry doesn't see if it makes contact, but dives off the dais out of the way. The Death Eaters are distracted by the appearance of the Order members who are now moving down the steps, raining spells down upon them. Harry can see Neville crawling along, dodging a jet of red light, and flings himself flat on the ground to reach him. He asks if he's okay and gets a yes before asking about Ron. Neville says that he was still fighting the brain when he left. Then the floor between them explodes when it gets hit by a spell and they have to scramble away. A thick arm suddenly seizes Harry around the neck and pulls him upright, with his toes barely touching the floor. A voice growls in his ear to give him the prophecy. Harry cannot even breathe because of the arm, but he can see Sirius dueling a Death Eater ten feet away and Kingsley fighting two at once while Tonks fires spells down at Bellatrix. Nobody seems to realize that Harry is in trouble and he cannot speak to cast a spell himself as the man reaches for the prophecy. Suddenly, Neville comes out of nowhere and jabs Hermione's wand into the eye hole of the Death Eater's mask. The man lets go and Harry whirls around, gasping out, stupefy. The Death Eater keels back and his mask slips, revealing McNair's face, one eye swollen and bloodshot. Harry thanks Neville and tries to pull him to safety past Sirius and the Death Eater he's fighting. He steps on something round and hard and slips, thinking it's the prophecy before seeing Mad-Eye Moody's eye spinning away. Moody is on his side, bleeding from the head, and his attacker, Dolohov, is now bearing down on Neville and Harry. He shouts Tarantalegra, and Neville's leg go into a kind of frenzied tap dance, causing him to fall again. He turns to Harry and makes the same slashing movement he'd used on Hermione, but Harry uses the shield charm. He feels something streak across his face like a blunt knife. It knocks him over, but the shield blocks the worst of it. Dalahab begins to summon the prophecy, but is rammed by Sirius and sent flying. Harry manages to keep his grip on it, again by the tips of his fingers. Now Sirius and Dalahab are dueling, wands flashing like swords, sparks flying from wand tips. 
Dollahop draws back his wand to use the same slashing motion he had on Harry and Hermione, and Harry springs up and yells Petrificus Totalis, again binding Dollahop's arms and legs together and sending him keeling over backward. Sirius tells him nice one and starts to instruct them to leave, but instead they have to duck as a jet of green light narrowly misses Sirius. Across the room, Harry sees Tonks fall from halfway up the stone steps, her limp form tumbling down the stone seats, and Bellatrix triumphant running back towards the fray. Sirius tells Harry again to take Neville and the prophecy and leave as he runs to meet Bellatrix. Harry doesn't see what happens next as Kingsley sways across his field of vision, battling Rookwood. Another jet of light flies over Harry's head as he launches himself at Neville. He asks Neville if he can stand on his jerking and twitching legs, telling him to put an arm around his neck. Neville does, and Harry heaves as Neville's legs continue to kick uselessly. Suddenly, a man tackles them, and as Neville's legs wave like a beetle, Harry tries to hold up the prophecy to keep it from smashing. Lucius Malfoy snarls at him to give up the prophecy, and Harry feels Malfoy's wand digging into his ribs. He struggles to push Malfoy away before telling Neville to catch and tosses the prophecy across the floor. Neville spins around on his back and scoops up the ball. Malfoy turns his wand on Neville instead, but Harry is able to jab his own wand over his shoulder and shout impedimenta. Malfoy is blasted off his back, and Harry scrambles up to see him smash into the dais where Sirius and Bellatrix are now dueling. Malfoy aims at them again, but Lupin suddenly jumps in front of him, shouting at Harry to get the others and go. Harry seizes Neville by his robes and begins lifting him bodily onto the first tier of the stone steps, his legs still uselessly kicking. Harry pulls again, but a spell hits the step below his head, and as it crumbles away, he falls back. Neville sinks back and thrusts the prophecy in his pocket. Harry tells Neville to push with his legs as he pulls again, when Neville's robes suddenly split all along the left seam and the prophecy drops from his pocket. Before either of them can catch it, one of Neville's feet kicks it. It flies ten feet to their right and smashes on the step beneath them. As they watch, appalled, a pearly white figure with hugely magnified eyes rise into the air unnoticed by any but them. Harry can see the mouth moving, but with all the yelling and screaming, can't hear anything of the prophecy. The figure then stops speaking and dissolves into mist. Neville apologizes through his broken nose, legs still kicking, and Harry tells him it doesn't matter that they still need to leave. Neville interrupts, saying, Dumbledore, and Harry doesn't understand at first, but looks where Neville is pointing to see Dumbledore framed in the doorway from the brain room right above them, wand aloft, face white and furious. Harry feels an electric charge surge as he realizes they are saved. Dumbledore races down the steps past them, and they all forget about leaving. He's already at the foot of the steps before the Death Eaters notice him and shout to each other. One Death Eater runs for it, but Dumbledore pulls him back easily. Only one pair is left still battling, apparently unaware of Dumbledore's arrival. Sirius ducks from Bellatrix's jet of red life, laughing. He tells her that she can do better than that, and the next one hits him square in the chest. His eyes widen in shock, with laughter still on his face, and Harry releases Neville and moves down the stairs as Dumbledore also turns to the dais. Sirius falls as if in slow motion. 
his body curving in a graceful arc as he sinks backwards through the ragged veil hanging from the arch. Harry sees the look of mingled fear and surprise on his godfather's wasted, once handsome face as he falls through the ancient doorway and disappears behind the veil, which flutters for a moment as though in a high wind and then falls back into place. Harry hears Bellatrix's triumphant scream, but knows it means nothing. Sirius just fell through the archway and will reappear on the other side any second. But Sirius does not reappear. Harry yells for him as he reaches the floor, breath coming in gasps, thinking that Sirius must be just behind the curtain and that he can pull him back out. As he reaches the ground and sprints towards the dais, Lupin grabs him around the chest and holds him back, telling him there's nothing he can do. Harry insists that he needs to get to him to save him since he's only just gone through, but Lupin tells him that it's too late. Harry struggles, insisting that it isn't too late, but Lupin will not let him go, as he says there's nothing Harry can do. He's gone. The movie section starts off showing Ron and Hermione struggling to get away from the Death Eaters. Harry is standing near the stone archway looking around at his captured friends as Lucius Malfoy chuckles and approaches him, wondering if he actually thought children stood a chance against them. He walks past Harry and briefly looks at Bellatrix, who smiles as she holds her wand to Neville's throat. Lucius then turns and extends his hand out to Harry, telling him that he will make it simple. He then demands Potter give him the prophecy or watch his friends die. As Harry solemnly looks around at his friends again, Neville yells at him to not give it to them. Bellatrix presses her wand across his neck to silence him, and Lucius continues to stare at him with his hand out. Harry looks down at the glass orb and slowly begins to move it towards Lucius's outstretched hand. As he dejectedly places it there, Lucius holds it up and takes a deep breath in triumph, which is interrupted by approaching footsteps. Lucius turns around as Sirius Black orders him to get away from his godson and then punches him in the face, sending him falling to the ground. Arriving in wispy flashes of white, more Order members appear and rescue the children from the Death Eaters. As Lucius hits the ground, he loses his grip on the prophecy and it shatters. Luna looks around as some white smoke chases the Death Eater away from her, and then Bellatrix from Neville. Tonks, Mad-Eye, Kingsley, and Remus each appear with their own swirls of smoky white, and the battle between the Death Eaters and the Order of the Phoenix is officially underway, with the Order dodging and casting spells as they try to get the kids to safety. Sirius ushers Harry around the pillar and instructs him to take the others and get out of there. Harry insists that he wants to stay with him, but his godfather simply tells him that he has done beautifully and asks he let him take it from there. They are interrupted by Lucius, who attempts to cast a spell at Harry. Sirius blocks it, and then both he and Harry begin shooting spells at Lucius and another Death Eater. Bellatrix cackles as black and white smoke figures battle all around and through the air. Mad-Eye pounds his staff down to attack one Death Eater, knocking him to the ground. Sirius manages to take down the Death Eater fighting beside Lucius as Harry hits the ladder with Expelliarmus and sends his wand flying. Sirius congratulates James and continues to engage a now unarmed Lucius in battle. He hits him square in the chest with a white light and sends him flying backward as Bellatrix appears in a billow of black smoke and yells Avada Kedavra. 
The green spell hits Sirius, causing his face to go blank as he is pulled back and up into the archway, disappearing into a veil of a ghostly-looking tapestry. As Harry realizes what happened, the sound drops from the scene and Remus grabs him from behind to prevent him from running through the archway after him. Bellatrix watches with a smirk as the two struggle and Harry screams a silenced scream. Considering how long my section was <laughs> and yeah. how short the movie section is, it's actually kind of amazing how similar they really are if you ignore everything that the movie left out. <laughs> True. Very true. What they included, they did well on, I thought. I think so. But they left out so much. They did. Minor changes as well. But that's par for the course at this point. So particularly this episode is hard for me to join on because Sirius is my favorite character. Yeah, let's bring you in right in time as your favorite character <laughs> dies. Welcome. Yes. Trauma. <laughs> <laughs> this third part and final part of the book chapter starts off a little bit differently than how the movie starts it off, but then they get back to the same place, essentially. They end in the same painful spot, yes. Oh, God, that was so hard to read. I just got to say, I was like choking up. Definitely watching her in the studio, she was definitely tearing up a bit. Glassy eyes. But where it starts, as opposed to where it ends, is Harry and his friends are all in the brain room trying to get away from the Death Eaters. The one thing that Harry knows is that if he can keep that prophecy, he's still safe because they wins. want it. Yes. Like, if I have this on my person, they're not going to hurt me because they don't want to risk destroying this. For some reason, they really, really want it. I actually don't think that the Death Eaters would think twice about hurting Harry, even though he has the prophecy. But in both the book and movie, he does specifically say, don't hurt Harry. We risk destroying the prophecy if we do. That's true. So, he does. He does. Yeah. At this point, that was the order given. Unfortunately for Harry, half of his party is completely incapacitated or just downright goofy, which definitely incapacitated Ron because he's like giggling and he sees the brain since in that tank and thinks that it's a good idea to summon one and grab it. Why would you want to touch a brain? I think that maybe it had some sort of control before he touched it, like looking at it caused him to be like, I want to touch it. Yeah. You know, like in Finding Nemo, when they look at the light on the fish that is in the dark part of the ocean. It's kind of like that. Yeah, like in Bugs Life. When the bugs are flying towards the bug zapper, I can't help it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I think that's kind of how Ron was dealing with the brains. So it entices you to touch it because it's a dangerous item. It's yeah. in the Department of Mysteries for a reason. That makes sense. And whatever is going on with him, if he was hit by some sort of curse or spell or something, it's obviously addled him a little bit. He's not the smartest cookie. He's not. He's not Ravenclaw either. He definitely has a weaker mind than Harry and Hermione. So I think that he is vulnerable to things like that, like how the Horcrux in Seven affects him so much more than it affects Harry and Hermione. Well, it was definitely playing on his weaknesses then, too. Correct. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's as strong. Like, he has his moments. Good at chess. He's definitely the one that gets thrown under the bus for comic relief. Considering how much they like to make Ron look like such a doof for humor's sake, though, I'm kind of surprised they didn't include this. 
I feel like CGI budget ran out. <laughs> I don't understand that at all either, because by this point, the movies are becoming wildly successful. Correct. You'd think they could have sprung for a little bit more. But like we talked about in the last episode, Katie and I were talking about how they left all of the other rooms out. Like the only mysterious thing that happened in the Department of Mysteries was them falling down and having it stop them before they hit the ground and then oh the veil is whispering and that was the mysteriousness of the department of mysteries they left all of that out so we didn't get to see any of this but i kind of wish that we had considering how much they like to make ron look goofy and i love the little touches of magic-y things that wouldn't happen in real life yeah agreed we talked about jenny getting hurt right and that's such a big deal you get to see how vulnerable jenny actually is but they did bonnie Wright all sorts of wrong so so. much and even in this moment she's down on the ground because she can't walk on her own because of her broken ankle and ron being the idiot that he can sometimes be in this moment has summoned this brain that's wrapping its tentacles around him and he's going from like silly loopy goofy to like oh no i don't like this i don't like this and jenny yells to harry that that brain is gonna suffocate ron and then she gets hit with a stunning spell in the face and falls silent knocked unconscious like none of that we saw we don't get good jenny material in the movies in all honesty they they did bonnie right super wrong yeah to make her look like a badass but she really didn't appear to be so because you did didn't not get, all get that. the same level of badassery in the movies that she did in the books. And then the moments they gave her in the sixth movie erased all of the badassery that they did give her. It was just like, we'll talk about that more when we get to the sixth one because yeah. we're not there yet. But so now we've got Ron incapacitated by the brain. We've got Ginny who's been stunned. Hermione is already unconscious. And it's just Harry and Neville and Luna. But they don't even mention Luna in this moment. I don't know if she's still trying to support Oh, she's Ginny with or, Ginny, I believe. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with Luna at this moment. We just know that Harry and Neville are the only ones really being active. Unfortunately, Neville's kind of useless at this point because he's trying to say spells with his broken nose and it's all coming out wrong. So even though he's saying stupefy, it's coming out stupefy, stupefy, stupefy. <laughs> well, this is where those nonverbal spells would come in handy. But yeah. they don't learn that till next year, do they? Because Snape's the one who teaches them that. Yeah, and even at that, they're not doing that great with them. No, they suck at them. Mike is actually the one who wrote this summary for me, and he does make note of that because it's like the words don't actually matter and you can do it non-verbally, and he'd think that Neville would be thinking the words properly, so you'd think that it would still work, but it is Neville. And at this point, he's not even using his own wand. He was using his dad's wand previously. That got broken. And now he's using Hermione's. So it could just be that disconnect in the fact that they haven't learned how to do it. Like, maybe you have to have a different intention thinking it than saying it. Well, Bellatrix tells Harry that you have to mean it when she's talking to him about doing Crucio. Maybe that goes for all spells. Maybe you do have to mean it. Yeah. And he maybe... could just be panicking in that moment. Neville doesn't get his chance to shine until he's not using his father's wand. That's true, which which I love. Well, that's a conversation we had yesterday, too, is his grandmother really thinks so little of him, but you're not giving him the proper tools to be successful, which is an educational thing at its finest. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now you've got two teachers talking at (laughs) y'all. 
on the plus side, because as Neville's trying to stun the Death Eaters, they're trying to stun him back, but they miss. And like I was saying, it's just Harry and Neville against five Death Eaters. And Harry has no choice but to make a run for it because now Bellatrix is charging at him. And he does the only thing he knows he can do to keep himself semi-safe is he holds the prophecy up over his head and just runs from the room because he figures if it's in a vulnerable position, they're not going to attack him as he runs away because they don't want to risk breaking it. He's also really hoping that Neville's going to stay there to help Ron get out from under the clutches of the brain's tentacles or whatever those are. <laughs> What's the plan, Harry? What do you think he's going to do that you couldn't do? <laughs> stay with him <laughs> i guess yeah he then runs but he makes it through the door and immediately falls because this is sort of reminiscent of what they did in the movie he's in that same room with the dais the floor disappears out from underneath him and he falls but he doesn't fall down and get magically caught at the bottom he takes a tumble down basically the stairs or the stone seats i don't know if it's like the seats can be used as stairs or they have stone seats and stone stair aisleways, but they get interchangeably called stone seats and stone stairs. What is the purpose of this dais? Because if it's in a room, it's in like an arena. Are we going Logan's run and people hit a certain age and you're like going through the dais so the magical community can move forward? Dumbledore does call it the death room later on which we'll talk about in the next episode but it kind of makes me wonder if it's like that scene in the fantastic beasts movie one of them where they're basically executing tina and they have her in that chair that's about to sink down into the pit of creepiness that's going to Seems like so eat her i guess i don't know it, it looked like i assume she was dissolving the chair started to burn away or something yeah, but they told her it was painless, which they could have been lying. But I think she was going to sink down into it. And yeah, it just. So this could have been like the UK's version of that. The wizards have the death penalty. They send them through the archway. Bye bye. That's scary. It's called the death room. That's almost worse. No, it is worse. It is worse than being sent to Azkaban. I don't know. I mean, according to Dumbledore, there are things that are worse than death. It's an interesting He's talking thought. about not being loved. Well, that's true. Anyway, back to Harry falling down these stone steps into the death room. He does so to the laughter of the five Death Eaters coming in from behind him. Because apparently slapstick is always funny. <laughs> You'd think they'd be a little concerned that this may not bode well for their precious prophecy, but nope, they just laugh at him as he falls down the stone steps slash seats. They follow him down, not falling. They just jump down them. And amazingly, when Harry lands at the bottom, the prophecy is not broken. So maybe that's why they're laughing. Maybe they're like, he's protecting it just fine. Look at the little idiot fall. Ha 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 ha. He gets up when he lands at the bottom, starts to back away, trying to keep all five of them in sight. And he bumps into something behind him, which is, in fact, that dais that has the archway that in the books we did previously see. In the movies, we literally just saw it right at the start of the section. Once they fell into the room, it didn't get the same introduction, as we mentioned before. But he climbs up onto it, and this actually makes the Death Eaters stop and just stare at him. 
So I don't know if they know what is going on and they're like, if he goes through there, we've lost it forever. But then would it matter? Do you think that they can hear the... I'm sure like McNair can hear the voices. I don't know about Lucius. I don't know. He's a rich white boy. He's probably not had any trauma in his past. But... You know, McNair probably hears voices. He's probably scared of it because, honestly, all these murder munchers are actually scared of death, which is why they are, quote, death eaters. You know, it's the same as Voldemort. They're scared to die. So this archway is terrifying. Yeah, it could be very intimidating to them. So maybe that's part of it. So it's just kind of like a face-off in this moment. Everybody's a little worse for the wear now. It's a little, uh, like murder chicken right <laughs> harry notices that dolohov is back he had previously gotten petrificus totalist but now he's moving around and has his wand pointing right in harry's face at this point even though we've known it was him the whole time Ducius pulls off his hood and just full face tells harry give me the prophecy like a good boy which like a good boy come on if somebody said that to Draco, you know Lucius would have a problem with that. Like, back up, bud. Right? Harry tries to negotiate, says that, I will if you let the others go. And again, the murder munchers all laugh at him because... They don't get it. They don't have love in their lives. And Dusha tells him that he's in no position to bargain, which is probably why this is funny to them. They're like, oh, this is so cute. He thinks that he can get his way somehow. Well, they definitely do that in the movie. When Bellatrix walks up behind Lucius and she's like, itty bitty baby thinks he knows how to play. Yeah. Which is disgusting. <laughs> it's all gross, but they're evil. So not yeah, shocking. Like that. Ducius also makes the point that there's only one of Harry, but there's 10 murder munchers. So he's a little bit outnumbered. Didn't Dumbledore teach you how to count? That's also like, there's 10 adults against a child. Right. Like. <laughs> like this is why we started calling him Douchius Malfoy. Dude's a douchebag. Like, that's such a douchey thing to say to a child. Uh, On top of the fact that you're trying to kill him, you know? like I don't understand how Lucius continues his thought process in this. This kid is the same age as your child. Same sex. You, They're both boys. Like, Could you imagine how he'd react if somebody treated his kid the way that he was treating Harry? Like you were saying. Your child is in school with this kid that you're literally trying to murder. Right. You're not figuring out the father aspect until your kid's 17. Like, that's when Lucius figures out his life, that his wife is important to him, and that his son is important to him. How does it take you that long? Well, it took him falling out with the Dark Lord. You fucked up and got arrested. Yeah, I don't even know that it was him realizing the whole father thing and the importance of his wife and child. I think that was just all he had left Maybe it happened. I like to get, I'm <laughs> definitely the Hufflepuff in the situation. Yes, I you definitely are. like to give people the BOD. No, I'm over here like, dude's just douches, evil bastard. Your kids can make you see the important things. Sometimes. You hope. My Hufflepuff heart hopes. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the mom in you as well. Well, that's true. I did just have a son and he is small. He's so. eight months. Yep, he's a big boy. He's a Weasley. He is uh, my little redheaded Weasley. He's my not dumb Ron. <laughs> he is adorable. But anyway, 
Ducious is currently mocking Harry for being one on ten. And at this point, Neville makes his appearance and shouts that he's not alone. He still has me. And Harry's just like, fuck me, Neville. Why didn't you stay with Ron? (laughs) So that's kind of funny. And because of Neville's broken nose, he still can't do spells. So he's coming down the stone steps shouting, stupefy, stupefy, and not doing anything. Just sweet boy. Making this adorably awkward entrance that doesn't actually help Harry in any way, shape, or form. And just ends up getting grabbed from behind by one of the murder munchers. And then we get a moment that is kind of similar to something that already happened in the movie, but also a little bit more savage. Because in the very beginning, when it was just Lucius and Bellatrix, they see Neville, they make a comment about him being a long bottom. And that happens now in the book. But it's Lucius who identifies him as long bottom and then says that. His grandmother is used to losing family members to their cause, so his death won't come as that great of a shock. Again, this child is the same age as your kid. If somebody said that to him, Lucius would be up at the school, carrying in his butt off, like, this the kid... The minister will hear about this. Exactly. <laughs> and Neville's story being left out of this movie drives me insane. Oh, yeah. And like I said... Douches. Dude's a douche. But Mike does make a little note here in the summary. Can you imagine Neville's grand unleashed on the murder munchers? That lady knows how to do some magic. Oh, yeah. Augusta Longbottom would definitely be out there murdering some murder munchers. Oh, I'd love to see it, too, especially after this comment. It would be very McGonagall attacking Snape in the Great Hall. Oh, yeah. That would have been epic. It would have been. And Bellatrix also puts herself completely in line for getting a beat down from Augusta as well. Because when she hears the name Longbottom, she immediately makes that connection and says that she's had the pleasure of meeting his parents, which is what she does say in the movie. And similarly, Neville yells that he knows. Does she say she's had the pleasure of meeting them? I think she says, how's mom and dad? Oh, yeah, you're right. But it's, it's trashy it's and mean. <laughs> Either way, she's a bitch for saying it. Absolutely. I was telling Ellen yesterday that Bellatrix is my least favorite character. She is my least favorite character. I like her less than Umbridge. Like, Umbridge is probably number three for me. Who's two? Oh, it's Peter. Oh, Pettigrew. Peter's my two because he's a trash bag. Yeah. I think the thing for me about Umbridge is the fact that she's more real. That's true. That is very true. But I'm Hufflepuff. Main quality of Hufflepuff is loyalty. And Peter being that way really hits me hard. I can see that. But so anyway, in this moment, Bellatrix is being an absolute bitch. Per usual. She doesn't really know anything else. And like you said, the similar moment that happened previously in the movie was Bellatrix just, how's your mom and dad? In the book, she says she's had the pleasure of meeting his parents. And Neville yells that he knows she has. So it's not the, like, sassy comeback that he had in the movie where he's just like, better now that they're about to be avenged, which I did love that line for Neville. But (laughs) in this moment, it's upsetting to him. And he starts really struggling against the murder muncher that's holding him. So that guy wants someone to stun him. But Bellatrix is just like, no, 
don't stun him. I want to see how long he can last before he cracks like his parents and does say this is unless Harry gives them the prophecy. Neville immediately says not to give it to him, which also they showed in the movie just at a different point and just continues fighting against being held against his will as Bellatrix comes up to him and says, for show, because she's a bitch. She's the worst. Neville actually like curls up in a ball to the point that the murder muncher is holding him off the ground and just drops him. And then she does stop torturing him for that moment just to say that that was just a taster and then turn her attention to Harry and say, give me the prophecy or watch your friend die the hard way. So something like this already happened in the movie, basically right at the start of Bellatrix's entrance. So it was similar, but not quite the same. <laughs> but yeah, so at this torturing of Neville, Harry just without hesitation is like, take the fucking prophecy. I'd rather you have it than this happens to Neville. And when Ducius moves forward to take it from him, two more doors to the death room burst open and enter Sirius, Remus, Moody, Tonks, and Kingsley. Dun, dun, dun. The order has arrived. So this is basically where the movie starts lining up with this part of the book chapter. But again, it's not quite the same. For one thing, basically, nothing else you mentioned happens. Yeah. So No brain room. No. no Jenny getting hurt or stunned. No Neville having a broken nose. Breaking his wand. The closest that it was was that scene between him and Bellatrix earlier, but it didn't even happen at this point. Yeah. So instead of half of the rescue party being injured, knocked out, brained, whatever, all of them, aside from Harry, are incapacitated by murder munchers, as we saw at the end of last week's episode. Yeah. Harry stares around at his friends who have been captured by various murder munchers. Nazi von Douchebag I, a.k.a. Douches, walks up to Harry and he laughs as he queries why Harry thought that children stood a chance against the murder munchers. Why are adults fighting children <laughs> is my question. Lucius, at this point, is in his 50s. Why are you fighting a 15-year-old? Calm down. Because he's a douche. Yes. He's hey, an evil douche. You know. Lucius continues his villain monologue as he walks past Bella Trash, is what I'm going to call her, because I don't like her, you know. Obvi. She smiles and smacks her wand onto Neville's throat, which I always thought was so stupid. <laughs> like, you're going to use your wand as, like, a melee weapon? No. Is it a knife or is it a wand? I mean, I suppose you could say a spell and use it like a knife, maybe. There's that would be cool. septum centra like a, type situation. Or you could use a transformation spell on your wand. Ooh. I'm here for D&D &D ideas, <laughs> should you have them. But no, in this moment, it's literally just like holding her wand, the edge of her wand, not even the tip of it, the side of it against his throat. So then in a very Riku from Kingdom Hearts move, Lucius turns around and holds his hand out to Harry, asking for the prophecy. Stating that it was his choice, either the prophecy or watch his friends die. Which, you're such a douche, my guy. I know, it's so douchey. Harry has this momentary lapse of judgment and he hands over the prophecy. And I'm gonna, I know you guys call serious dog father, but... He's my god daddy. 
So enter everyone's favorite god daddy, Sirius. Accurate. Sirius punches Nazi von Douchebag the first in the face, telling him to get away from my godson. And Lucius falls to the ground. And this is kind of a ding. It definitely runs parallel, even if it's Bellatrix evilly negotiating for the prophecy in the book and Ducius in the movie. Also, Sirius punching Ducius in the face didn't happen, but it is one of those moments that I'm actually sad didn't. Because I'm okay with that addition. It was satisfying. That was not written into the script. I found out yesterday I saw a video of Gary Oldman asking if he could punch Jason Isaacs in the face. Yes, you shared that to our patron page. Yes. And it was delightful to watch over and over again. Just crazy Gary Oldman punching Douchus Malfoy in the face. Satisfying. And then it made it into the movie. You know, it was a good scene. It was funny watching them work it out. Like he was like, I just want to deck him. him. Yeah. (laughs) It was great. We'll share it to the main page, too. Yes. As Lucius falls, we see white wisps shoot into the frames as the order descends on the Department of Mysteries. So why can everybody fly without a broom? I know. It's like the Dementors. Yes, it is. Nobody fucking flies. Because we were talking about this yesterday. You were even saying that it was so shocking that Voldemort could fly without a broom in the seventh book. It's such a big deal. Like, Harry is like, he can fly. He can fly. But in the movies, everybody flies. Yeah. And it starts in this movie. It doesn't even start in seven. No. Like, everybody can just fly. Why can everybody fly? I don't understand. They can all fly on their smoke ponies. Mm -hmm, Smoke ponies. And to make it even more fun, the bad guys get black smoke ponies and the good guys get white smoke ponies. So you can tell whose side you should be on. Sure. Okay, movie. <laughs> but we see Lucius fall and hit the ground, losing his grip on the prophecy. Woohoo. It shatters. We don't get to see Trelawney's head come up. No, but we kind of already heard it at the very beginning of this scene. Yeah. Because Harry hears it when now, he picks yeah. it up, which is weird. Yeah, we talked about that then, too. I'm like, that's not, that's not how it happened in the book, and I'm not a fan of that, but whatever. We couldn't hear it at this point in the book either. Yeah. So then we see the Order chase away all the murder munchers from Luna and Neville. Smoke chase away. Smoke chase away. It's literally these white puffs of smoke. Just poof, and they're gone. Pooping where the murder munchers are holding the kids and then poofing them out. I I don't understand. (laughs) And it kind of implies that you can apparate into the Department of Mysteries. And we talked about that before, too. Like, you'd think that wouldn't be possible. So I have a strong suspicion that they maybe didn't apparate there, that maybe it was they were there and then they opened the door high up and they were like, we got to get down there. So now we're going to fly in our smoke ponies. Something like in the book, they just run in. Correct. They just run in. Because that's normal. So. But no, the movie has to dramatize everything. (laughs) And add in smoke ponies. Well, our favorite order members appear in their own white wisp of smoke on their own smoke ponies and let the wandy fight begin. Lots of spells being cast by different order members and Harry. Yeah, this is similar here, too, because in both we have the arrival of the order to save the day, just in very different fashions. Like I said before, there's no satisfying punch, but we do have Duchess turning away 
at the arrival of the orders. And it gives Harry the opportunity to dive out of the way as Tonks sends a stunner to Ducious. So he has this chance to, oh, distraction, gone. And this same distraction works on all of them because even though it's five order members against ten murder munchers, it's good versus bad and good always wins. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Not the best odds, but it's still better than it was before when it was just one child versus ten adults. Forever angry about that. At this point, Harry's decision is to get away from all of the spells and get himself to Neville who's just trying to crawl away and he has to dodge a jet of red light and ends up basically crawling himself to get to Neville asks if he's okay and then when Neville says he is he asks about Ron and Neville's just like he was still fighting the brain when I left but it's not like Ron was doing that well with it so Harry's just like why would you leave him but he doesn't say that Harry knows the time and place for certain things. Certain things. Not everything. <laughs> not but, everything. You know. And honestly, he might have said something, but he doesn't get the chance to because the floor between them explodes and they both have to, like, scramble away to avoid getting injured or killed or whatever's happening. And at this point, Harry actually gets grabbed around the neck and pulled up to the point where his toes are barely touching the ground. So he's, like, suffocating, can't say anything to try and help himself and everybody else is so busy dueling that nobody knows he's in danger except for neville who has already learned that he can't say spells because of his broken nose and decides to just forego that completely and instead uses his wand well hermione's wand as a poker and just sticks it right through the eye hole of the murder muncher's mask and it's enough to get him to drop harry who turns around and stupefies him himself, which causes him to fall backwards and his mask come off, which lets us know that it was McNair. And he has one swollen bloodshot eye. So go Neville. Harry thanks Neville and pulls him away. They end up going past Sirius and another murder muncher as they're dueling. Harry thanks Neville and pulls him away from all of the chaos, steps on something that slips under his foot. It's clearly round, and he kind of panics, thinking it might be the prophecy, before he realizes that it's Mad-Eye Moody's eye, and I feel like that would make me panic more. Especially since Moody is currently lying on his side and bleeding from the head, and at this point, all of that damage was done by Dollahob, who is now coming after Harry and Neville. So that was like their last line of defense from him. And now he's bearing down on them. And he hits Neville with Tarantelegra. Which was our trivia question. Yeah. And it causes Neville to go into what's described as a frenzied tap dance. I feel like somebody comes into St. Mungo's with that as well. Or I think their shoes were shrinking on their feet. And it was just causing them to dance in discomfort or something. <laughs> but regardless... It is very inconvenient because now his legs are jerking so uncontrollably that he's, again, even less use. Dalahov tries to use that same slashing motion. We don't know what the spell was, but whatever he did to knock Hermione unconscious on Harry. And Harry is able to use the shield charm to protect himself. It ends up hitting him in the face like a blunt knife, but it doesn't hurt him. 
the shield seems to protect him from the worst of it and he doesn't get knocked unconscious so good that spell's really scary to me i would really like to know what it is it's described as like purple feathers or something flames purple flames yeah it's very scary because hermione just gives a small gasp and then falls she just goes oh and collapses yeah but she still has a pulse so but that's i feel like that's even scarier because it didn't kill her it didn't yeah what did he do yeah at this point dollahov tries to summon the prophecy but god daddy shows up and sends him flying harry manages to keep his grip on it again slips to the end of his fingertips but he doesn't lose it so now we've got sirius and dollahov dueling and he, he again tries to use that same slashing movement on sirius and this time it's harry who's comes to Sirius's rescue and full body binds Dolahov using Petrificus Totalis. For like the third time, I think. It's at least the second time. Yeah. So query as to why the summoning charm works on prophecies. Because specifically in Seven, they try to summon one of the Horcruxes, which I guess I get that a little bit more. But I feel like this Department of Mysteries would have that charm that Umbridge has on her office so nothing can be summoned, right? Yeah. Maybe it's because the person who the prophecy was already about is the one who's holding it. So it can be summoned away from them? I feel like the person who it's about could summon it. You'd think. Because they specifically said that you can't pick it up unless it's about you. And that's why they needed Harry to go. But maybe once it's been picked up, it loses that protection. Oh, that's silly. Yeah. Silly magic. Tricks are for kids. Maybe it's just a plot hole. (laughs) Maybe it's just a plot hole, yes. But anyway, for at least the second time, Dolohov's been body-binded. He falls over backwards. Sirius tells him nice one and starts to tell him to get Neville out of there. Get him to safety. Get the prophecy to safety. Like, leave this to me. It's sort of similar to something that happens in the movie, but definitely not the same. He doesn't get to finish saying this, though, because they both have to duck in a green light, which we know what that means, narrowly misses Sirius. I assume that's the only green spell. Probably. At least in the books. Yeah. So as he's ducking, you can see all of the chaos that's happening in the room. Tonks actually falls. She's been overcome by Bellatrix. And the triumphant bitch just makes her way back into the rest of the fights and Sirius again tells Harry to get Neville and the prophecy out of there and goes to meet Bellatrix take care of that bitch and as he's doing that we've got Kingsley battling Rookwood Harry has to dodge another jet of green light does so by launching himself towards Neville and is just like can you stand Your legs are doing this crazy thing. How's this going to work? He's like, put your arm around my neck, tries to pull him up. Neville's legs are just kicking absolutely uselessly. And then they get tackled by a man who turns out to be Ducious Malfoy. An adult. An adult. They get tackled by an adult. It is an unfriendly game of tackle football, tackle prophecy, episode title (laughs) tackle tackle prophecy and prophecy yeah and like i said Ducious is like give me the prophecy and he's now digging his wand into harry's ribs because douchebag and harry's trying to fight malfoy off of him 
and also manages to roll Neville the prophecy and tells him to catch and Neville scoops it up and just holds on to it tightly and then Harry uses impedimenta to get douches off of him sending him flying across the room although Mike wanting to know how Harry's always getting the drop on these guys when he's the only one that's not using nonverbal spells but I think it's kind of because they're underestimating him being that he's a child yeah it's similar to how Voldemort doesn't think that an elf's magic is as good as a wizard's magic. Yeah. Doesn't think that they could have magic that he doesn't have. As Harry's trying to drag him up the stone steps, a spell hits it, causes the steps to crumble underneath them, and they start to fall back down them. Neville manages to shove the prophecy into his pocket. And unfortunately, I don't know if it was a spell that caused it to happen or just not great robes. But the seam along the side of the pocket rips and the prophecy falls out of it. And before either one of them can catch it, Neville's jerking feet manages to kick it, send it flying ten feet to the right, and it smashes. Oh well. They watch as a pearly white figure with hugely magnified eyes, which is supposed to be our cue as to who this is. In the movie, we got to hear her voice. In the book, we got this description, which tells us but doesn't tell us yet. But nobody else notices it because they're far enough away from it and there's so much noise in the room. They can't hear what the figure is saying, though Harry can see the mouth moving. And then it just dissolves and it's gone. And Neville's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. His legs are still kicking. This whole thing is so pathetic. And visually, it would have been really interesting to watch. So the choice to leave it out kind of blows my mind. This seems like a use for finite, if I've ever seen it. Which we will get to, eventually. Apparently that one hasn't occurred to Harry. I don't know if they've learned that or not. Well, he at least saw Hermione use it, because she used finite and cantardum on the bludger that was chasing him. True. But anyway, Neville's apologizing. Harry's just like, it doesn't matter. We need to get out of here. At this point, Neville just goes, Dumbledore. <laughs> and Harry doesn't understand what he says at first, which what else would he be saying? Anyway, he looks to see where he's pointing and sees Dumbledore appearing at the doorway that's the brain room where everyone else is. So just like everybody else, he has arrived normally and walked through, probably ran through, and walks into the death room, the dais room, whatever we want to call it. He does not ride a smoke pony, but this is Dumbledore's entrance, and Harry is just like, oh, thank fuck, we're saved. And then Dumbledore races down the steps, distracting them enough to forget that they should leave, but do they need to as much now that Dumbledore's there? Like... It could have been Dumbledore against all 10 murder munchers and he probably would have still come out on top. So they just kind of watch as the murder munchers all notice Dumbledore and probably start to panic. Hopefully they wore their brown robes. One murder muncher actually tries to run for it and Dumbledore just like pulls him back magically. Like, nah, you ain't going nowhere. Stay here. Again, the majority of that did not happen in the movie, but it does kind of get similar again here. Our goddaddy Sirius moves Harry around in an attempt to protect him. He tells Harry to get the others and get out of the ministry. But Harry, in true Hufflepuff fashion, says that he wants to stay. Sirius tells him he's done beautifully, but that the Order can handle this. 
So such a sweet moment. It is a very sweet moment. And I also just love the way Gary Oldman says beautifully. Well, he's And the Gary way he's Oldman. looking at him. So, yeah. Sirius blocks a spell from Douches that was headed for Harry. And they begin fighting in earnest. Right. So we see Bella trash cackle as white and black wisps flow around her fighting. Mad-Eye stamps his staff down and shoots a murder muncher backwards. Sirius takes down the murder muncher next to Ducious, and Harry in turn disarms him. Sirius states, nice one, James. Which is both kind of similar to the book, but also kind of bugs me. Because in the book, Sirius does say nice one when Harry saves him. I don't like the fact that in this moment, after giving this beautiful moment where Sirius is just like, you've done beautifully to his godson. You've done beautifully. Let the order take it from here. Now, all of a sudden, he can't tell the difference between Harry and his best friend who's been dead for a while. Like, why did they have to make him a little crazy in this moment? I never took it like that. I took it as Harry mentions in Seven that when... Sirius appears to him when he does the resurrection stone that he looks younger than he looked in life and a lot that I've read has been Sirius died on that day that James and Lily died because he thought that Remus had done it because in the third book they say like I thought it was you and I'm sorry that I thought it was you yeah so he lost all of his best friends he thought Remus had done it at first and so I think in this moment, Sirius is just having a, my best friend is actually here with me. And I think it's just a slip up. I know it's a silly slip up. I know it's a silly, stupid thing to add into the movie. But I also have taken that particular fan theory to heart because of how Sirius appears to him. And he says the same thing about Remus. That Remus looks younger. Yeah. Because true. they did lose so much on that night. And they were 21. Yeah. Not that the movies would show you that. But it just bugged me, though, because... It is a weird add-in. He's I not will James. Say that. He's not and James. Sirius he's knew he wasn't James. Because he was accused of mixing up Harry and James. In the book. In not the book, in the movies. As an insult. Like, and... Sirius is just like, I don't know why you would think that I can't tell the difference. Like, are you calling me an irresponsible godfather? So to put this in just made it feel like, I mean, he was being irresponsible in that moment. But I don't think he was doing it because he couldn't tell reality. No, I think he was excited. Yeah. To be fighting along his best friend in the fight that he always thought they were going to have. But also, that's not how it happened in the book. Not how it happened in the book. But Harry smiles, and he continues to fight Douches. Harry blasts him backwards, and we hear Avada Kedavra as Bellatrash appears in a waterfall of smoke. The mysterious green light strikes Sirius, whose smile freezes on his face. And he falls behind the veil and disappears as he ascends. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you read this? I could barely read it. I didn't get it. Granted, I was like, I don't know, 14. I didn't get it. I was like, where'd he go? Why is he? What? Where's he? I had a hairy moment. Yeah. I was like, where is he? Why is he not coming back? 
I, I was just blurring up really badly. Like, could barely read the words. It was rough. I was 21, maybe. 20, 21. It's a hard one to deal with. So, a little bit older than you. But the sound fades from this scene, and it's only music as we see Harry, held back by Remus, scream in agony as he realizes that Sirius is gone. I read somewhere that they actually chose to take the sound out of this scene because Harry's scream was just so Daniel Daniel's scream, scream was, was so, just so devastating. The girls had to leave. They couldn't be in the room when he was doing it. His grandma had passed away and he they said he was using that. Oh. Yeah. So like nobody could be in the room because he was so it was so painful for him. But also I have goosebumps. Me too. <laughs> There was something so effective about there not being any sound. Yeah. Like the imagery is not the right word because it was an audible thing. But to see the pain on his face and to not hear anything coming out of his mouth was like showing how much it affects your senses when you deal with a trauma like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It was so effective. Except for maybe, you know, to Bella Trash. She watches with a smile as Harry screams. Because she's trash. But that's where the movie section ends. Yeah, and the biggest difference in this particular moment of the movie is that Dumbledore has not made his entrance. And then, of course, there's things that were left out. But in general, it lines back up really well. And like I was saying... It was heart-wrenchingly beautiful. And actually, when we were watching this yesterday, I noted that David Thewlis also has a really pained look on his face because that was his best friend. Yeah. His only remaining best friend. Yeah. Oh, I'm sad. There is still some things happening in the book that weren't in this particular part of the scene. It was slightly different. Because Dumbledore had arrived, and because Dumbledore was there, everybody else stopped fighting except for Sirius and Bellatrix. I don't know if they didn't realize or if there was just so much hatred between the two of them having been family members as well. They just keep on fighting and everybody else is stopped and is just watching at this point. Looking at Dumbledore, who's rounding up all of the remaining murder munchers, watching them duel, and... She tries to hit him with a jet of red light as she's laughing. Sirius ducks it, kind of taunts her a little bit, and says that she can do better than that. So in the movie, she kind of sucker punches him with a Vada Kedavra. They weren't the ones dueling. No, they weren't. And you don't ever really get the full family aspect in the movie. Like, you don't really super understand that they were... They are related and that all of that ties into even the Malfoys being related to them right. and stuff like that. But understanding that she was his cousin and like they probably went to like Easter stuff together. Right. Like that's weird. No, they probably grew up together. Yeah, because they're about the same age. So you don't get that sense in the movies. No, not even a little bit. And like I said, she just sucker punches him with it. They weren't previously engaged in this battle. So there wasn't any kind of him mocking her. You can do better than that to make it hit even harder. 
when she does hit him square in the chest with the next curse. But it doesn't even say that it was specifically Avada Kedavra. I wasn't sure, honestly, if her curse hit him and killed him or if it knocked him through the archway and that's what killed him. I honestly wasn't sure. That's why I, when I initially read it, because it didn't say, it said it knocked him backwards and he fell through the veil. That's why I thought he wasn't dead. Yeah. I mean, I was with Harry not wanting him to be dead. Correct. I was also with Harry not wanting him to be dead. Yes. But it says that, but the book describes as his eyes widening in shock and the laughter still being on his face as he falls in slow motion and sinks back through that ragged veil. It wasn't really described in that ghostly fashion. It was an actual curtain that he fell through hanging from this arch and he has a look of fear and surprise on his face which does not to me say that he was already dead but in the movie he was because it was about a cadaver and i feel like that makes it a lot more cruel in the movies they made her more cold yes intentional about like you were intending to kill your cousin. Yeah. I guess that our conversation yesterday, I was curious if we thought that maybe Bellatrix had planned, but since in the book it doesn't say that she uses Avada Kedavra, and I kind of doubt she did. She um, wouldn't have even known for sure that he was going to be there. Correct. So I don't think that, yeah, the plan was I'm sure she that. didn't mind. She seems pretty excited when she screams in triumph that she kills him. Correct. Although Harry doesn't think that that scream means anything because at this point his brain is not accepting the fact that his godfather is gone. He thinks he just fell through the archway and that he's just going to appear on the other side. And then when he doesn't, he starts yelling for him. He's like, he's got to be just on the other side of that curtain. I've got to get to him and got to pull him out. And at this point, as he's trying to run towards it, Remus has to grab him around the chest and hold him back. He's trying to tell him that there's nothing he can do because obviously now we know that if Harry goes through that archway himself, he's not coming back either. But Harry doesn't understand what's going on. He has lost the one family member that he felt like he actually had that felt like family to him. Which is really not fair to Remus. In all honesty, Remus has also been a father figure to him. But I understand, like, he had that friend connection with Sirius first. And with Remus, he had the The teacher teacher connection first. And on top of that, Sirius was just trapped at Grimald Place. And Harry got to spend a lot more time with him over the summer. Whereas Remus was able to go out and do things for the Order. So even though he had the teacher connection with him... He never really got to spend that much other one-on-one time with him after everything went down. That's true. So he definitely had a stronger bond with Sirius at this point, knew that Sirius was his godfather, thought he was going to get to live with him one day, and all of that was ripped away from him in this moment. Harry really lives a tragic life. really does. And he doesn't grasp what's going on he keeps insisting that he needs to get to him he needs to save him he's only just gone through and lupin's telling him that it is too late and he's still just struggling he's like no it's not too late and remus just keeps holding on to him it's like harry there's nothing you can do he's 
gone. And that's where they end the book chapter. And it's devastating. <sighs> but that part is... I, it's making Harry face stuff that he hasn't had to face up until this point. Yeah. Because he hasn't really dealt with Cedric's death. Mental health in the wizarding world. Right? This is like this moment that just punches you in the gut, cuts off your air supply, and squeezes your heart all at the same time. Like the emotion that I feel... And it hasn't changed. It doesn't matter that this is a book that I've been reading for 20 years now. And I just told everybody my age. Because I told I your age. <laughs> only on the Patreon page. But this is a book that I've been reading for 20 years. And it doesn't matter. It still punches me in the stomach, cuts off my air supply, and squeezes my heart when I get to this point. This whole section that we have been reading and doing today is the hardest section for me to read I, I think I skip this usually when I read the fifth book because from Bellatrix and Malfoy mocking Neville for his they tortured his parents into insanity and you feel the need to mock a 15 year old haha your parents are crazy because Y'all we tortured them bitches absolutely and then Harry losing Sirius is just this whole chapter is so painful to read. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, though, because I usually skip the majority of the movie and just start watching this scene. This is the chapter of the movie where I start watching because I feel like it is one of the most. Yeah. It, it's heart wrenchingly beautiful. It is. It really captured what happened the emotions that it made me feel and even following it up with the next scene that we'll talk about next week like they even invoked that same feeling of pride with Dumbledore and Voldemort's duel and the way Harry reacted it wasn't the same but the way that I felt was yeah they do a good job making the movie magic in this part yes <laughs> I don't quite feel that way about the rest of the movie. There are things that are done wonderfully and I will never not love. I'm sorry, Professor, I must not tell lies. Yeah, that's a good one. But there are other things that I'm like, why did you do it that way? Like, fuck you, Montage. Anyway, you've heard yes. me say that so many times now. And we are at the end of this episode, which has gotten quite long. Indeed. So we should really probably just move on. At this point, we don't really have new actors to talk about because they've been here all we know long. everybody we've talked about everybody i think we can say a little bit more about helena bonham carter as bellatrix next week and maybe even talk about ray fines as voldemort a little bit more too because he hasn't done a ton in the movie yet but as of right now we've talked about everybody else so we can just move on to the potter pondering we're getting a little existential with our Potter pondering this week. Yes. So this week our Potter pondering is, what do you think is on the other side of the veil? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. 
Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. And thanks to the addition of Carly as a co-host here, she actually has a really good idea that'll make sure I get those videos up on TikTok because that has been a struggle lately. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. And we are still accepting Sorting Hat stories, but we have also decided from now on, if we don't have a story to share, that we're going to start sharing some upcoming Wizarding World news, or the Wizarding Word, if you will. Yeah, so if you do want us to share your story, let us know your house wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want us to know. You can email them to forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com, or you can just message it to us over any of our social medias. This week's trivia question is, which order member continues to duel with Bellatrix after Sirius is killed? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag beat Bella will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. We are going to be kind of revamping our Patreon now that Carly is on board as well. So we'll be back with more information about that. But you can find us on Patreon at For Fox Sake Podcast. And join us there for some extra perks and fun stuff. Again, I just really want to welcome Carly for joining us as a host. We're so excited to have you. Like I said, it's going to be... Mostly me and Carly, we will have Katie in spirit from time to time while she's taking her break. Things are insanely busy for her right now. But moving forward, we're hoping to get all three of us on here. And in the meantime, just so happy to have you filling in and joining us. Happy to be here. Have lots of great ideas. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 36, the only one he ever feared, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calming Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.